Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So today I wanted to talk about, uh, kind of related to a recent discussion about uh, trying to get, you know, watch uh, podcast playback, and, and I did a blog post this week basically saying, like, here's what we need to do this. Um, and I kind of wanted to talk about the process of trying to affect change with Apple and their products and their stores and everything else. Um, and this takes a lot of different forms. Um, I think the, the the first thing I wanted to talk about is how to know what you can and can't change. Um, if you're going to try to get something done at Apple or try to get a bug fixed or try to get a feature done or try to get something, some policy changed, it helps to know the company well enough to know uh, basically what fights aren't worth fighting and you know what's not worth your effort and what is if you want to like get bugs fixed you know or like get api changes to to some degree that stuff is usually possible those those are fights worth fighting a lot of people try to get unfair or arguable app store rejections overturned i think it is worth challenging unfair or arguable app store rejections sometimes unfair to me means that the rules were not applied correctly or maybe consistently with other apps. Unfair does not mean you disagree with the rules. <laughs> That's a different situation. So if you've been rejected for some way that you think is actually unfair, like the rules were not applied correctly, um, that is usually worth you know filing the appeal, and if that doesn't work, then maybe going public with it. As for arguable App Store rejections... Uh, that that's very broad. That could be a lot of things. If you keep hitting rules that are arguable, um, maybe you should rethink what kind of apps you're trying to make. Because generally, I recommend that you don't build a business or or attempt to build a business on living on the edge of a rule. Um, you know, if you stay away from the edges of the rules or the vagaries or the exact interpretations of certain rules, uh, you're generally going to be happier and, and it's going to be easier to do business both you know immediately and going forward. Um, so those are generally like the, the things that generally you can affect bugs, APIs, and, you know, bad app store rejections. And, you know, what you can change can take a number of different forms. You know, you can obviously, you know, with app store rejections, you can, you can do the private appeal, which I definitely recommend you do first. Um, those appeals often work. Uh, I, I've heard a lot of stories from friends and, and other developers who, who have appealed things and they do get overturned. What's your experience with that? Um, I've, I have many experiences with that. And in general, I would say that that is, I've had, usually we can come to some understanding. Um, like often the, the sort of, sort of, A, I think that Apple appreciates the working it through with them first in that sense of I've dealt with all a variety of rejections for a variety of reasons and work, you know, I think the impression I've gotten is that you get farther by not running to the press, not trying to make a big fuss. Like maybe that is the the final straw, like that you do down the road. But that initially you work with them, and you work with them patiently, and you know with uh, you know politeness and respect, and you work through it because typically they're coming at you know it's like the the issue unless you're just doing something wild and off the reservation, like usually there is some sticking point that they're stuck on that you have to work out a way to work around that, you know, there may be a small change that you can make to your app that will affect that change. And by doing, you know, if you handle that in a respectful way that in my experience, the, that sort of the, the appeal process and working those channels directly 
um, will often get you somewhere. Um, you know, sometimes it may not be exactly where you would like to be. You know, sometimes you'll end up having to make changes to your app um, that may, you know, limit its functionality or make you feel like you, you know, you've, you've lost a competitive edge or something. But by and large, like that, that process does work. Um, and while it can be, you know, frustrating in the moment and, you know, I've certainly been very emotional in the moment, um, you know, when you, when I work on something for, you know, for months and you submit it and then, you know, it gets rejected for a reason that you don't agree with, like, that's a very emotional thing, but it does ultimately, you know, work through and, um, just being respectful, making sure you're understanding the subtext around what they're saying, I think is something that I found to also be helpful that often like they're saying, they're saying one thing and which is correct, but it's because of something else. Like there's another, Mm -hmm. there's an underlying reason that you're trying to find. And if you, the better you can try to understand that or, you know, ask probing questions around that, the better you're able to make the, make a change. Cause usually what I've ended up happening is it's the, it's unlikely that they'll just, they'll be like, Oh, actually, yeah, we, we made a mistake. You're fine now. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. In my experience, usually it's the a, a, a more likely scenario is, you know, here's this small change that I, I can say, like, if I did this, would it be OK then? And they often says, well, we can't pre-approve it, but that's you know heading in the right direction. And then I make, I make a change, I resubmit and then everything's fine. Um, but it does work. Like I've gone through that process enough times and, you know, got, gotten apps that were rejected, you know, ultimately approved often with, you know, relatively minor changes. So it does work and it's something that I would encourage you to do. And it's definitely the place to start, um, that, you know, thankfully I've very rarely, if ever had to sort of make a big, try to make a big fuss to get something happen because it's sort of, you're, you're, you're going all in at that point. Like it's either going to work or it is, or it doesn't. And even if it does work, um, you're putting your app in kind of an awkward situation for its future going forward. If like it was, you know, if it was ultimately accepted, but not under the best circumstances, like what does that mean in six months when you submit a big update and you're kind of doubling down on the features that were questionable to start with? So um, that's certainly my experience. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it works and it's, it's an encouraging process that's gotten a lot better than when it, you know, back, you know, whatever, eight years ago um, when things were a much more, um, like, I don't think on, on, on Apple's side, they'd quite dialed in their process there to, uh, to the degree they have now. And so, you know, <laughs> that's it generous. Works. Yeah, it, it works better now. Yeah, it's way better now. Um, all right. So those are kind of the, the things that you can affect change with. Um, there's also a lot of things that you can't really affect change and that your, your effort is probably wasted. Um, and that might even annoy Apple if you do it. Uh, and the, this includes things like, trying to get major app store policies or business rules changed or get exceptions for yourself. This is things like getting around the 30% cut for in-app purchases uh, or subscriptions or things like that. Um, this also includes like campaigning for major technical changes they're very unlikely to do. So things like allowing all iOS apps to run in the background indefinitely. You know, like if you just want to have like a persistent daemon running an iOS, like that's never going to happen. They're, they're never going to allow that. Also, you know, things that combine both of these, like both App Store policy and major technical things, like allowing sideloading of iOS apps. That's probably never going to happen either. Like, you know, I respect people who try to make that case to Apple, but I think it's futile. Uh, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Um, and also, kind of obvious things like anything that could be potentially abused, like even if you have good intentions on something you want to be able to do, you have to think about what what could a bad actor do with that same ability um so anything that could be abused for privacy violations is a big one so things like 
access to restricted hardware, things like you know face ID, touch ID, you know secure enclave stuff, um, access to like the the restricted privacy sensitive APIs like location or microphone without prompting the user. Uh, stuff like that. Like if, if you need those things, you're going to have a hard time. And that's that's probably not a, a great way to spend uh, any any amount of effort trying to affect change at Apple. Um, and also there, there's a big one that, that's kind of sad, but but it's reality. And that is if you're trying to get bug fixes or API changes for either very old or very low priority APIs or platforms. Um, and so, you know, this would include, you know, low priority platforms in general, you know, that would, I would say things like tvOS is pretty low priority. I would say, unfortunately, most of Mac OS is pretty low priority. Um, so, you know, if you, if you want some, you know, API enhanced on a low priority platform, you're going to have a hard time doing it. Um, even if, even a bug fix, you know, if it's not a really critical bug, uh, you're going to, you might have a hard time even getting anybody to care about that or to have time to work on it. Um, because, you know, even if you make a great case for any, for some kind of change like this, if nobody's working on that thing, you know, there's no one to fix it. It's not going to happen. You know, a, a lot of Apple projects will go either completely unstaffed or staffed by like one person who also worked on 17 other things for years. Like, like, you know, it's like you know, who maintains like a dress book? You know, it's it's probably like one person who also maintains six other frameworks. And even when you have a, a like a small staff on a project, they might not have time to do your bug or your enhancement because every year when apple does like you know big new headlining features that, that they market to customers or they have new hardware that things need to take advantage of or be be adopted for or adapted for all those like one person or, or small teams that are working on like you know old apps or kind of you know less high priority things they have to adopt those marketing features first. Those will always take priority over like you know old enhancements or bug fixes they also want to do. So for a lot of projects at Apple, there's literally not time for much of anything else. Like so if you file some bug with like, you know, iWork. Like iWork is a great example because it has a staff. iWork is staffed, but iWork is involved in so many marketing features every year that like that it has to adopt or that it has to make sure it works with so any cha- you know changes to ios changes to like the multitasking the file picking document handling um, changes to iCloud collaboration sharing like there like iWork is involved in all sorts of crazy stuff and so if you have a, a like a, a feature request or some kind of minor bug in iWork that's going to take way lower priority than all the crazy marketing stuff they have to do every year just to keep up with apple's own stuff um, so the, there's a lot of projects at Apple for which, like, you can file bugs or you can, you know, write a nice blog post saying that, that you, you wish this, this you know, obscure bug would be fixed or that you wish this API was different. But if it's a low priority or old API or project or if it's just or if its staff is way too busy doing other stuff, uh, you're going to have a really hard time with that. And, and to that end, I think also it's hard for us to have a sense like, of what the future is going to hold. Um, and cause we don't like, we're at a disadvantage to, for, uh, computers to, to Apple in the, in the regard that they know what next year's release is going to look like and have a good idea probably of what the next release after that is going to look like. And so if you're filing bugs against frameworks or things that Apple knows they have different plans for in the future, 
then it's going to become even harder likely for your your bug or your issue to be addressed. And maybe, you know, you would in the best case, it'll be like rolled into the changes they're making or if they're replacing the framework with something better or, you know, those types of things may come into play. But it's the awkward thing, too, of it's easy. Like all we see is the end results um, and we can't know what's you know what's coming in nine months whereas apple does and so it's entirely possible that a bug comes in for a framework and they're like yeah we're not we're not going to fix that because you know in 10 months that framework's going away or it's going to be replaced with something better they're rather going to put their engineering effort into that and so that can often you know it's like we we don't if we file a bug you know we can do all the right things if you have an example project you know show how to reproduce it it may never get fixed, and the reason why it may never get fixed could be any of the things you were just talking about in terms of staffing. It could just be a question of priorities or the future. Um, you know, it, it's impossible to know exactly why it happened, and that can sometimes be frustrating, but that's just the reality, I think. We are sponsored this week by Blue Apron, the number one recipe delivery service with the freshest ingredients. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone and support a more sustainable food system. They set the highest standards for ingredients, and they're building a community of home chefs. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with fresh, high-quality ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals in 40 minutes or less. See, our show's a little bit shorter than that. That's pretty good. <laughs> Each yeah. meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients, and they ship the exact amount of each ingredient that, are, that the recipe requires, so they are reducing food waste in the process. And Blue Apron's freshness guarantee promises that every ingredient arrives ready to cook or they will make it right. I personally have been a Blue Apron customer with our family for, oh, geez, I don't know, maybe two years now? It's, it's been a while now, even before they were sponsoring any of our shows. And we just love Blue Apron. Their recipes are fantastic. They, we, are, we have really become better chefs as a result of having Blue Apron. It is awesome. We've tried so many new foods, new cuisines, that like things we would never even order in a restaurant that all of a sudden we're cooking. Um, and then it, they're delicious. And now we go out and we order those things in restaurants. Like It, it, it expands your horizons both for food and also it, it really does make you a better cook by just having so much more experience. And, and on nights that we don't have Blue Apron, we make better things now. So you can choose from a variety of new recipes each week, or you can just let their team choose for you and surprise you. You can cook meals like soy-glazed pork and rice cakes with bok choy and marinated green beans, skillet vegetable chili with cornmeal and cheddar drop biscuits, or garlic butter, shrimp, and corn with green bean salad and roasted purple tomatoes. There is no weekly commitment, so you only get deliveries when you want them. You can cancel them at any time. You can skip some if you're going to be out of town or whatever. It doesn't matter. So check out this week's menu and get three free meals with your first purchase, including free shipping, by going to blueapron.com slash radar. You will love how great it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So get started today by going to blueapron.com slash radar. Thank you to Blue Apron for supporting this show. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. After all the discussion before of what you can change and what you can't change at Apple, now I want to talk about how you actually do it, the best ways to affect change at Apple. You know, if you're going to be doing something that's actually changeable, how do you do it? So first, as we talked about a little bit earlier, um, you should start with private methods first. Um, so very first thing with any bug or enhancement is file a radar. And I and this is this is a hard thing to do because the radar system is 
it, it's almost punitive. Like it, it really is is almost abusive. Like in in how much effort they want you to to invest into filing bug reports, even down to things like making sample projects, where they, which they will almost always request for almost anything, even if it doesn't seem to need it. Um, to the point where I almost think it's a delay tactic, so they can just close more bugs and people don't do it. Um, but I, actually, I don't almost think that. I do think that. Uh, but anyway, so file a radar first, and and the reason why is because. Radar is it's Apple's bug reporting system, and, and radar is how Apple passes things around and prioritizes things internally. So, if you later want to write a blog post or email somebody in the company or bother somebody on Twitter who works there or something, if you want to like escalate things further, it really helps to have a radar number or series of numbers to point them to to say, "Look, this is what I'm talking about." Because then, if they actually take up your case and if they want to prioritize something in the company or forward it to somebody else or get it to the right department or try to convince somebody that that, that they should be prioritized they are going to do that by passing around radar numbers to people and so it really helps a lot if you have a radar filed i'm not always the best at this and usually when they ask for a sample project i just get mad and just abandon it because i'm like i'm not gonna waste my time doing this you know you should fix this bug but uh, that is the most effective way to do it um and that you know and so generally radar first and then keep things private first if you can so obviously with app store appeals you know do the private appeal first before you go public because most of the time you won't need to go public and that'll be nice when you ha- when you do need to go public it, it it makes your case a little more defensible to them internally if you can say for, like if you basically tried to try to do it privately first you know similar thing with, with like when you're reporting security vulnerabilities i feel like i mean i don't know much about that community but i, I think it works a sim- in a similar way where it's like you try the private method first and then if it doesn't work then you consider going public i don't know do you file radars and stuff and for all your stuff or do you just work it out yourself how, how do you do that so I have a lot of I've filed a great many radars over the years, and it and they and I think radars tend to take different forms. Like some of my radars are just straight up bug reports. Like I'm just saying, I use this API in a way that it is documented that it should work, and it doesn't. And like those ones are relatively straightforward, and you know, like I, that's I've that that's sort of the one side. And the other side of the radars that I file tend to be. And I, and I write them this way, actually, now. Um, I write them, they're almost just letters. Like, they're, like, like open letters to Apple, say, or, like, I guess, closed letters to Apple, saying... I believe they're just called letters. Yeah, it's like, here's this thing that, um, you know, like, hi, I'm, I make these apps, these are the, and, you know, this is something that I'd like to be able to do with them that a current API can't do, and I try and give as much context and to sort of... I try to flesh out the not just like what I want, like not just the like the technical like I wish this API would do X Y Z, but I try and provide like real world situations and examples as to why. You know, sometimes it's like in, you know, he even like here's a link to my app. Like here you can go see where this would fit in. Like to try and build a case because as best I can understand, and this, you know, I've I've several I know for several friends who work at Apple. Like I know a lot of people. That, the, the impression I get is that. Like radar is this funny thing because we see this very kind of sort of terse, opaque thing on the outside where we put things in and then we'll either get, you know, flagged as duplicate or nothing will happen at all for a long period of time. But internally with Apple, you know, they have a a whole other sort of discussions and threads and things that are going on around 
you know, the radar that I filed that is happening internally. And that is the part that I'm trying to, you know, provide as much information as I can to make, you know, engineers within Apple's case or lives easier. Because the reality is with almost any change that we want, you know, there's like there's going to probably going to be someone at Apple who thinks yeah this is a good idea there might be other people who think this mm, that's not a, such a great idea and they're going to be having you know with any engineering choice there's usually you know there's there's benefits and and you know disadvantages and you know it, it can they they may be thinking even in a broader sense because they have to not just think of your specific case but they need to think of the worst case of someone else using this API but they're having this discussion internally and like all I'm really trying to do is if there is somebody who is going to be advocating for you know for the change that I want I want to provide that person with all of the you know as as much as as I can in terms of you know support and evidence uh, to make that change happen and so I just you know write write as much of these this as I can and it can feel a bit funny in the sense that you know the radar system is all about you know like what was the expected result and what did happen and like it gets it's obviously structured for technical reports but i find if i'm filing an enhancement request like that's what i do um i mean it's so hard to know how the degree to which like that is actually effective but it's just what i've over the years what i've sort of gotten comfortable with doing and i've never heard anything bad about it in terms of like i've never had them closed as like irrelevant or poorly or you know incomplete or written or something like that does like it seems like it's just a a mechanism by which you can have private communication with apple that someone inside of engineering will actually look at um and especially also i think in communication like if functionally the way you know the developer relations system works is you know we can file a radar and then there's a collection of evangelists, um, you know, like all of the essentially the developer relations team is there to interact with developers personally. So usually what I will end up doing is I'll file a radar, um, you know, sort of put that out there. And then depending on the, what the nature of the situation of the, you know, the enhancement request is, if I know the evangelist who would you know, most closely fit that, I'll reach out to them and I'll say, hey, here's this thing that I filed, you know, here's the reason why I'm asking it. If you have any questions or things, you know, please let me know. And, you know, sort of like in the same way that you may, you know, it's like you submit your resume on the system and then you also may you know, follow up with an email to a recruiter or something like, you know, you, you kind of, you hit it in both ways just to make it that much more likely that someone's going to look at it. Um, and they may disagree with it. They may ignore it. They may, you know, it may not end up being effective, but at least someone has looked at it and they've made an active decision to, you know, to not do it. Also, the, the timing of when you file bugs or when you go public with things matters a lot with Apple because, you know, Apple is a company full of human beings and they're on a tight schedule and they all have, you know, more things on their plate than they have time to do. But the good thing is we know their schedule. Their schedule matches the release schedule of their products and their operating systems. So we know the schedule so we can use it to our advantage. Um, so generally like if you if you file a bug or you you know bring up a public thing uh at a time when they're really busy doing other stuff it's going to get lost in the shuffle or it's more likely to get lost in the shuffle so the best time to file bugs is when they are actively looking for bugs ravenously and that is early betas like if like right after wwdc when you get those betas and you're trying out the new stuff they are looking very closely at bugs people are filing so if you want things to happen, that's the time to do it. Like it's like the code is like open, it's like being worked on. That's the time when they can allocate lots of their own time to looking at your bugs and considering them. 
Um, the worst time to file bugs um, or to to make requests in public is probably right before WWDC <laughs> because then it like they are in a massive crunch time every year trying to get stuff done for those first betas like for those first builds and anything you try to have them do during that time that they don't have to do is going to get dropped on the floor um, because they're just they're way too busy also similarly when it's right before the gms come out in the fall when there's about to be a new hardware released they have no time to consider your enhancement request then like the os is basically done at that point like that's a terrible time to do it uh, a good time to do it also besides the early betas is um i would say the very beginning of the year january through march maybe um, because like usually they're doing like a kind of an intermediary release cycles like like the the point twos or point threes of the os's um it's kind of a quieter time it's a time when they might have more time to allocate towards improvements uh, rather than just you know core features um i also want to spend a, a quick moment talking about uh tone and framing when you go public so if you're going to write a blog post or you're going to have you know any kind of public you know, outing of what Apple is is doing or not doing or what you want them to do. If you're going to become the elephant in the room. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it helps to, the way you frame it, and this actually should also probably apply to the way you write bug reports too. The framing is very important. You want to, fr- instead of just saying like, I want this to be fixed. Well, that's, you know, you need to frame it as, here's why it helps Apple, users, and developers. And they care about them in that order. Developers are really last in that in that trio. Like, you need to tell them why Apple needs to do this and why that will benefit Apple's customers or the users of your software. Like, that's what you need to tell them. And what you what you as a developer need is really low on the list um, because if you tell them something that will benefit Apple, your chances are better. Um, and the tone that you use in the in the wording and, and just everything, headlines, titles. The best way to do, you know, Apple is, again, this is a company full of people. Uh, I have found that that culturally, many of the people there are pretty sensitive to the tone with which requests and especially complaints are made. Um, the best thing you can do is to basically remain factual, you know, state the facts as neutrally as you can. Any request or, uh, or you know, criticism that you're making of them, be civil and be constructive as much as possible. Um, because what you don't want to do is you don't want to give them a reason to disregard you as just being mean or just being a jerk or, or being unreasonable. You want to give, you, you, want, you, you want to say, here's the facts, here's what we need, or here, here's what I need, or here's what happened, and you know, here's what I think should happen. And it's also important not to they're very sensitive about this, not to put words in their mouth or not to ascribe motivations to Apple. Um, you know, there was a kerfuffle last year with, uh, with a developer where like he recorded a conversation with Apple on the phone, like without their permission like that, you know, that's something you shouldn't, you know, don't do that. And, and don't ascribe motivations to Apple. Like Apple did this because they, they hate me or, or because they're being mean or, or because they, they don't want this kind of app, you know, like, Unless they told you that in some kind of public way, like, you know, don't ascribe motivations or malice to Apple. Um, just keep it factual, keep it neutral. And, and that, and, I mean, obviously this, this goes for a lot of communication in the adult world. Like this is what you should do in general. But, uh, but yeah, like if you keep it factual, neutral, and constructive, um, it, it increases your chances that you're going to be taken seriously. 
and that will improve your chances of getting done what you actually want to get done. Yeah, I mean, just in general, like that's just good advice for life, probably. But it's like <laughs> yeah. trying to, it's understanding that I think it's easy to think of Apple as a like a faceless entity, right? That it's like that doesn't have feelings, that doesn't have emotions, that is just this cold, this cold machine that you know takes in code and outputs money, like that. But that's not the reality. Like it is, you are ultimately trying to. If you have a change that you'd like to affect, you are trying to convince people to do that. And the best way to affect people is to, you know, be respectful of them and to be presenting your arguments in ways that is hopefully going to ultimately make them look good. That is going to, you know, make their their life better in some way. And you're going to have way more luck with that than just yelling and screaming and throwing a fit because that's never that's not going to help anything. Like that doesn't help if you're a two year old, and it's definitely not going to help um, in trying to affect change into a massive, you know, billion dollar company. Exactly, because anything anything you are arguing, you know, as, as you said earlier, you are providing ammo for an internal discussion. You want your side of the argument to win internally, and so if you make a really good case, people inside can use that to win arguments, to affect change, to do what you want. So it really helps a lot that you make the best case possible and that you, you know, choose things wisely to even argue about in the first place. And when you do, do it right. Play by their system, play by their rules, and play by general adult civility rules, and you will you will have much better chances of succeeding. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Best of luck with everybody with your affecting changes efforts, and I will talk to you next week. Bye.